You have to get your roots down somewhere to bear fruit, and soil is messy. We quickly affirm 2 Timothy 3.16, but we ignore verse 17. Welcome to 1A, a ministry of First Presbyterian Church, episode 20. We're pausing our look at emotions, and we'll return to that topic next week. But for this episode, we have a special guest, and we'll be talking to him about preaching and its effect on the care of souls. I'm Josh Squires, the Minister of Counseling and Congregational Care here at First Pres. You're listening to 1A, a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. If this is your first time listening, we appreciate you checking us out. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. For more information, you can visit our webpage, which is firstprezcolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprezcolumbia.org forward slash 1A. To find out how to contact us or how to subscribe, listen to the end of the show. If you do find this ministry useful, then subscribe using the application of your choice, and every Monday a new episode will be waiting for you. While you're there, leave us some comments. As we increase the number of reviews and comments, it becomes easier for others to find our podcast. In this episode, we welcome the Reverend H.B. Charles Jr., who is here speaking for Erskine Seminary's annual John L. Gerardo Lecture. Reverend Charles is the senior pastor at Shiloh Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, and is a frequent speaker and author. For more information on him, you can visit his church's webpage, which is shiloh.church. That's shiloh.church or his personal website at hbcharlesjr.com. For more information about Erskine Seminary, you can go to seminary.erskine.edu. Also, for more information on the Spurgeon of the Americas, John L. Gerardo, I'd recommend starting with Dr. Douglas Kelly's book, Preachers with Power, where you can learn something about his person, his passion, and his preaching. Now, let's get to our interview with Reverend Charles. Derek, sometimes the Lord gives you a gift, and you don't overlook that gift. Sometimes you've got to deviate from the plan you have in front of you, and we have a gift this week. Right. I wondered where this was going. Yes, <laughs> we do have an incredible gift uh, this week. My my friend, uh, Reverend H.B. Charles, uh, from uh, Florida, uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and pastor of a large church, um, several thousand, five thousand maybe, twice the size of this church. Uh, but I wanted to ask you a question. We met and and uh, became friends uh, just about nine months ago or so uh, at uh, Southern Baptist uh, Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, and I, I encountered your story. You have been preaching since you were nine or 11. Since I was 11 years old. 11 years of age. Tell me a bit about that background. Yeah. So I'm a third generation preacher. My father pastored the church that I grew up in, and I um, received Christ under his preaching. And really, I have not had a passion or desire at any point in my life uh, thereafter, trusting Christ to do anything else but preach. Mm. And at the end of like a children's youth something, they like put me up in a chair and let me say something. Uh, thinking that 
they would get this over with. <laughs> and and the, the pressure I was putting on them and it would be over. And um, I don't know what they intended, but I came to preach. And um, my father had many friends in the city that he had been kind to. My father had a heart for preachers. And many of them didn't have another way to repay him except to find children, youth services and classes where they'd let me speak. Mm-hmm. So pretty rapidly, I was having a lot of opportunities to to speak, to teach. I grew up with very bad asthma. If I went outside, I was almost insured it felt like to have an asthma attack. Mm-hmm. So I was in the house a lot and my world instead of being basketball, football, and baseball, were books. And um, I was taking from my father's library and reading. So I'm, I'm learning the scriptures, and he's spending a lot of time with me. I remember as a boy, I'd ask him a question, and he'd pull out this uh, the biblical illustrator. This, mm-hmm. <laughs> And, um, you know, you have one phrase, and it could be several pages on this, and very small print. And, boy, I dread it. <laughs> I dreaded that. My father weekly read, um, he had this big set of sermons from Spurgeon that he mm-hmm. read from every week. Mm-hmm. And he was passing those on to me to read. So I was being mentored by my father. I was getting um, many opportunities to teach. I was just um, immersed in the, in the in the Bible and reading, learning the Bible. And so I, I would say that created progress pretty quickly. Uh, apart from your father, who else influenced you as a as a young man on preaching and what and what preaching is? Sure. So my father was one of the uh, I would just call him you know the African American model of preaching. He was one of those classic orators in the mm-hmm. pulpit. Uh, D. E. King, a Gardner C. Taylor. Um, uh, that that borders on a kind of singing voice at some no by point? by the orator I would I would put Martin King in that mm-hmm. category. Um, he was a textual preacher, mm-hmm. and I think that was heavily influenced not just by his culture and background, but also just I think by how much he read Spurgeon, mm-hmm. and he was very poetic. I would say the musicality of of Black Baptist preaching. An African American preaching um, was a part of the larger culture of the church I grew up in. Not my father's thing. Mm. He disdained that, mm. and he 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 thought he would say to me, "Son, you don't want to be a stereotype. You want your preaching to be able to stand up anywhere." Mm. But when I when I say an orator, he was very eloquent, mm. eloquent in the pulpit, mm. very poetic in the pulpit, and the persons that he predominantly brought to preach kind of fit that mold. Um, I would also just add, he was very good friends with Evie Hill and they preached a lot for each other and with each other. Um, And of course, this was in Los Angeles. Los Angeles, California. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. Reading lots of Spurgeon uh, would introduce you very quickly, especially the younger Spurgeon, to... um, the Reformed faith and Calvinism mm-hmm. was that was that something that you realized as you were reading Spurgeon? You so know, the, I would say down the road I run into terminology and distinctions where I am able to identify the lines. But 
I would say reading Spurgeon when I first am able to categorize what these things are in my mind, this is nothing traumatic or or surprising. It didn't catch me off guard. What caught me off guard is to start reading arguments against those mm. um, those truths. My, I would say, and also in the African American church culture, they just have a even if it's not an emphasis on the formalities. There is just my father preached a very big God, just who is sovereign over everything, and I, I would just say the tradition of the black church and the experience leans very heavily on divine sovereignty, divine providence. And I would just say applying that, the next step of applying that, not just over history and circumstances, et cetera, nations, to apply that next step to the destiny of the soul was not was not a traumatic thing. Has me. that emphasis in preaching changed in the African-American culture? I would say that with reformed if you if you i think if you start talking about categories just a, i would just say with my black preaching friends and colleagues if you start in some of the categories you know we're at a day where I, I would say right now in our culture the term evangelical is a controversial term because of all of the different ways mm-hmm. it is being used i think if you start using terms and categories the guy will say to me oh, no 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 but if I start talking about the scripture and what I believe, then, oh yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> um, I think it is embedded. I don't know how much, and I would say what I, how much uh, the formalities of it are embraced, but it is embedded, I would say, in so much of black church life in many of the instances. And I would say I preach what I, I preach away from my church quite often. And I preach what I preach and the way I preach. 99 times out of 100, when I feed someone else, church, conference, school, it's the result of previous meal I prepared for my own church family. Mm. And I am preaching my convictions, and there is there is no resistance. I don't catch that. The, I think the truth, when people hear it in the scriptures, it's being embraced. You know, we hear and see and experience for sure that uh, preaching isn't enough, that you need programs, excitement, something. Counselors. Counselors to attract people to church, Mm -hmm. that, that we're in a society that's drifting away from the structure of and rhythm of uh, church life, of, of, of external, uh, objective church life. How, how would you respond to that? There is a book, Standing on the Rock, by James Montgomery Boyce, where in that book, he talks about their work on biblical inerrancy, but predicts that the battle for the Bible will continue in the next generation. His prediction was that in the coming days, the battle would not be so much over the inspiration of Scripture, but the sufficiency of Scripture. And I think about that passage often. I feel like that ominous prediction is has come to pass in so many circles of um, church life today, that there is a lack of confidence in the sufficiency of Scripture. I, I, I believe we would quickly affirm 2 Timothy 3.16, but we ignore verse 17 
that the man of God may be competent and thoroughly equipped for every good work, that the ministry of the word is what should drive the life of the church. Of course, on the other side of those statements in chapter four, Paul charges Timothy then to, to preach the word. Um, I would say I am blessed uh, to have gone to a church seven years ago in Jacksonville that was a troubled church because of the previous leadership. But the blessing of that church was that it was a it was a church that in, it was built on biblical preaching. But as you mentioned, it is a rather large church. And mm -hmm. I would say even though we hold fast to the scriptures, I would say the size and prominence of the church requires us to be vigilant from politics to to so many other things that get laid at our doorstep to um, compromise the centrality of prayer and the ministry of the word. I, I really think at the heart of it, when that happens, is, is that it just betrays a lack of confidence mm. in the word of God. If you don't mind, sometimes I see people in the counseling room um, and we talk about getting plugged into church and to worship and putting yourself underneath the right preaching of the word. And their reaction is they need to get themselves better first. They need to put themselves together before they then engage in church and especially engage in putting themselves under the word. How would you respond to someone like that? One of the things that led me to, to preach through Ephesians is that concern mm. in my own heart as I watch church life and in my own particular congregation. An argument that I keep trying to make through Ephesians is that you cannot have a high view of Christ and have a low view of the church. And Ephesians gives you a lot of opportunity mm. <laughs> to, uh, to address that. Mm. And I do not think, so I, I grew up, I learned, I grew up in Sunday school. I believe that has its place or small groups or whatever you want to call them. I think counseling has its place, mm -hmm. but there are biblical means and biblical priorities and the corporate assembly of God's people um, being under the teaching of the word of God is God's way. Um, and I don't think any substitute mm. ultimately works mm. or pleases mm. the Lord. What would you tell someone if they found themselves in a place where um, their church either by, by time and drift or because they've moved, but but whatever congregation was no longer being faithful to, to God's word or they thought they weren't being faithful to God's word and the preaching of God's word. What, what would you advise someone to do there? Yeah. So I would just start with a general blanket thing. I, I am... I do whatever I can to discourage church hmm. hopping. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, so I, I think that's the baseline yeah. for me. I think you have to get your roots down somewhere to bear fruit. Hmm. And soil is messy. So I would start there. Hmm. And I would not offer blanket advice about that because... I would say each situation is unique and distinct. Mm. And I, I, I would be nervous about just making blanket general advice because sometimes it is that person's perception of things. Right. You have a 
I've been I've dealt with that over the years. Our church is not preaching the word because I'm not talking about eschatology. I have people in my church who are mad because I haven't preached through Revelation. And we're not committed to the word because <laughs> mm. we're not talking about that regularly. Mm. So there are some of those dynamics. Mm. Um, I do think, depending on the setting and the kind of leader you have, if there is a, a drift, mm-hmm. I think there, through fellowship, accountability, conversations, there are things you can do to help. Right. But if it is not a healthy environment and there is a hardened straying away from truth, yeah. um, as slow as I am to recommend things like that, I just I wouldn't have advised you to be under error, right. sitting under those who are portraying the word. Right. At the beginning, I know of that, that's a lot of qualifications, but uh, no, no, no. And and if you don't mind, go back to the first part because I think it's so crucial. What do you see in people who church hop? I think I think it's I think it encourages superficial. This I'm from Los Angeles, you know, and I I just. I have a, a thing as I watched over the years. It just feels like the superficial culture of Hollywood just kind of slipped in to the mm-hmm. church. And whatever is the new or the, the hottest, I think it, cre- it creates, it morphs the church into something perverted. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it stunts that believer's growth. Mm-hmm. Of all the things that are going on in Corinth, he's mm-hmm. it's, it's not advising them that you need to go. Sinner, he said, you need to move them out. But he's he's challenging them not just about their commitment to Christ, but their commitment to one another. His rebuke about what's happening at the Lord's table mm. is not just a dishonoring of Christ, but the poor brother. So I I really believe it has a, it dishonors the church, mm. and I think it stunts the believers' growth where there is this. Um, consumer mindset I think too many churches are building their ministries around rather than doing whatever they can to assist them HB uh, I want to thank you for coming uh, to Columbia and uh, it's been a wonderful privilege to have you at First Presbyterian and uh, your ministry to us uh, last evening, and if you're listening to this podcast, uh, that ministry will be available uh, online, and uh, you, you can look for H.B. Uh, Charles under our uh, sermons, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll find it. And there'll be another uh, lecture this evening, and you're going to speak to, among others, uh, some seminary students who are at the very uh, beginning of their of their ministry, and. Um, what piece of advice, you know, do you give to someone who feels a call to ministry, is going to seminary, that, that God's providence got entire future ahead of them? What what piece of advice are you going to give them? What first comes to my mind is what my father said to me, and what he would say to those who talked to him about their calling. If you can keep from preaching, do it. By that, he meant that the call to ministry is, in fact, the call you receive, not a vocation that you choose and so I, I i i do believe in a call to ministry and i would say that i believe the emphasis both privately and publicly that should be the priority in the developmental years and then further on is just simply stated for me in act six and four 
that you should devote yourself to prayer and the ministry of the word. That is, if you are at the beginning of the journey of Christian ministry, or if you are a seasoned veteran, may the Lord grant over the years that there is a deeper commitment to those things, but there is no other course than that. Um, these are the pillars of the Christian faith, and these this is the fuel of Christian ministry. Uh, you're here for the John L. Gerardo lectures. Gerardo had a heart for racial reconciliation, though he wouldn't have had that language at the time. He had a 1,500-member, 90% African-American church on the coast. Um, did amazing work in, in that area. So give us, for those who are listening who might want to go and listen to your talks that you're, you did last night and that you're doing tonight, give us just a, a snippet of what it is that you're talking about. Yep. So on last night, I talked about the changeless Christ mm. and the message, the lecture for this evening will also be um, on Christ, focusing on Christ in ministry. Mm. And I really do believe just even out of my own experience, mm. for instance, over the past year, our church, a predominantly a more than 100 year old, predominantly black Af uh, black Baptist church merged with a predominantly white Baptist church over 100 years old. Mm. And I really think me being in Ephesians mm. at the time, dealing with, say, Ephesians 2, that he is our peace and has broken down mm. the wall of hostility that divides us. Was a, was a way God was working in the hearts of both congregations. Mm. And I feel like just um, out of my own conviction, but also at this stage, just out of the experience of what God is doing currently mm. in the place where I serve, mm. I think the more we talk about music and tradition and all of those kinds of things, I think we limit, we, we, are, we, are, we limit how effective reconciliation mm. is. But the more the focus is on Christ mm. and who he is and what he has accomplished and the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the ground is level at the cross. Mm. And Christ is our peace who has broken down the wall that separates us. Mm. And he has reconciled us both to God and to one another, making us mm. a new man in him. Mm. So the goal of both lectures was just to brag on Christ right. and to point us to him. If someone who's listening, if this is something for which they really feel a lot of energy, it's a it's a place for them where they really want to engage. If there's one practical step, one place they don't they don't know where to begin, is there a place you would tell them begin here? Yeah. In response to a question last night, I gave a long answer. I won't give that long answer, right. but I would say all that God has allowed our church to experience. Yeah. Uh, in racial reconciliation started with me moving to town and a white pastor six blocks from us just reached out to me and befriended me mm. and prayed for me and during the kind of turbulent early years of my work there just he would check in on me and encourage me mm. and uh, invite me down to preach for him he would at a certain point come to preach for us, which for him was a big sacrifice mm. to do. Mm. Um, I, I, I say that to, to say in summary mm. that I really think it just starts with friendship. 
showing the love of Christ and, and going beyond our comfort zone, not trying to, you know, um, our church merged with a white church. I wouldn't say start there with your goal. <laughs> start with a little more pedestrian task. Go down the street or go, you know, across the street. Go outside of your comfort zone and make friends for Christ's sake. I think that's a good place to start. You've been listening to 1A, a counseling ministry of First Presbyterian Church. We encourage you to listen to all our episodes, which you can find on our webpage at firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. That's firstprescolumbia.org forward slash 1A. You can also check us out on all your favorite podcasting applications, such as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, then subscribe. Also, don't forget to tell your friends and family about us as well. If you have comments, questions, or issues you'd like us to wrestle with, contact us. You can reach us at our email address, which is 1A at firstpresscolumbia.org. That's 1A at firstpresscolumbia.org. Or via our Twitter account, which is at 1A Podcast. That's at 1A Podcast. Or by phone, 803-281-1795. 803-281-1795. For Dr. Thomas, I'm Josh Squires. We look forward to seeing you next week. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.